0: It's a joy to see you here tonight, and our guest minister is Reverend Trip Beans. Tripp and his wife, Joy, have served well here in our county for a number of years. Trip is the uh, coordinator and the director of RUF on the Millersville University campus, and he's done a wonderful job there. We're so thankful. He told me before we came out here and had prayer in the back room that the students are coming up to their finals. So pray for them. My daughter went to a university where every year they had these beautiful gorges and bridges over the gorge. And even highly qualified academic students would would do what they called gorge out, take their lives because of the pressure. I'm sure that Christ makes the difference where the word of God is directed encourages students to uh, profoundly uh, realize their efforts are a part, but God's working in them is so important. We're thankful for Tripp. Just uh, 20 years ago, Tripp and uh, Dr. Rogers' oldest son, Paul, and my son, Josh, were all roommates up at the Rohrer Farmhouse 20 years ago. Now you have three children. My son Josh has... uh, Uh, Three and uh, four, and uh, Paul Rogers has numerous children. (laughs) Well, Tripp, it's a delight to have you here, and the Lord bless you as you bring the word to us tonight.
1: One of the first sermons that I preached after getting ordained in this presbytery was in this pulpit, and I thought that it was because I was a new pastor and a new preacher that it was somewhat daunting and intimidating, but it's not true. It's just being here. (laughs) But it is really good to be with you this evening. Uh, Real quick, before I get started, I just want to share a real quick story with you. In the fall, I was meeting with a student who had been coming out to our ministry since last spring. So at this point now, today, he's been coming for about a year. But in the fall, it had been six, seven months, and I sat down with him and I said, "Um, so what do you think about RUF? He was not a Christian. He didn't grow up in the church. Uh, he is not a Christian. And I so, said, what do you think about RUF? And he said, well, I don't know that I agree with everything yet, but I'm interested and I really enjoy the people. And he said, and, and since joining RUF, I've read all of Genesis and I'd like to start in the Gospel of Mark. And I said, that's fantastic. Would you like to read Mark together? And he said, yeah, I would. He said, I'll have to borrow Megan's Bible again. And I said... I'll give you a Bible. And he said, really? I said, sure. So two weeks later we get together, I sit down and and someone had given me a beautiful ESV study Bible, leather bound, brown and green, leather binding. But it's this gigantic book. And for a non-Christian to walk across a secular campus with this enormous book is like a neon sign that says I'm reading the Bible And I wasn't sure he wanted that sort of commitment. So we chatted for a few minutes and when it was time to read the Bible, I pulled the Bible out and I slid it across the table to him and I began to show him what a study Bible is and how it works and how there are articles and notes and all these things that he might be interested in. And the whole time, all I can see is the top of his head and he's flipping through and he's looking at it and I said, now listen, It's really okay with me if you don't want this Bible. It's kind of a commitment. It's a big book. And um, I said, I'll get you another one when we meet next. And as his head came up, his eyes were filled with tears. And he said, I'd be honored to have this Bible. And we, uh, we read the Gospel of Mark together last semester, and we started the, the, the Book of Romans this semester. Uh, it's, he had a really hard semester with his family, and so we didn't get to meet as much. So we're actually probably going to pick Romans up. We're probably going to start Romans all over again in the fall at this point. But I just wanted you to know, you're a church that is heavily invested in our ministry, and when we go on campus, we obviously represent Jesus, but we represent you as well. And God is at work at Millersville's campus. He is calling people who do not know him to himself. And he's, he's equipping and sustaining students who do know him. And he's equipping them to reach their campus. And I just want you to know that's, a, that's happening. And we're really grateful for your partnership. So thank you. Our our text tonight is from Isaiah 7. We're going to read 1 through 14, but I'm going to open with a word of prayer, if you will. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that when your word partners with your spirit, stuff happens. Lives are changed. Hearts of stone become hearts of flesh. And... Your your elect, your chosen people are conformed to the image of Jesus. And that's what we want tonight. Lord, we want to walk out of here different people than the ones we walked in. We want to look a little more like Jesus. We want to see the world a little more like Jesus does. We want to feel the pain and the joy and the hope and the sorrow that is going on around us and in us a little more like Jesus does. And so we ask that you would use your word to conform us to his image tonight. Thank you, Lord, for his life and death and resurrection. And it is in Christ's name we pray, amen. Isaiah 7, 1 through 14. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook As the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. At the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Remaliah, Because Syria, with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, has devised evil against you, saying, "Let us go up against Israel, uh, Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass." For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's the word of God. <clears throat> Ahaz has a problem. He ascended into the throne about 736 BC, and almost immediately he ran into conflict with these guys, Rezin and Pekah. Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah is the son of the king of Israel. Now, remember, at this point in Israel's history, they have had a civil war and divided north and south. The southern kingdom is Judah. That's Ahaz's kingdom, and the northern kingdom is Israel. So, this being the second conflict with Rezan and Pekah, um, we have to understand what happened in the first. In the first conflict, Ahaz lost hundred thousand men and even more civilians. More of his people were taken captive, and now they're threatening again. They're just over the hill. They're amassing their armies. They're making their plans. Ahaz couldn't stop them before. What's he going to do this time? What is he going to do to stop these guys this time? What about you? How do you think about the challenges and difficulties of your life? When you wake up in the morning and there are threatening armies just on the other side of the hill finances job health relationships you know it says that the bible says that the mercies of god are new every morning and yet some of us maybe a lot of us wake up in hope deficit when you look at your hope meter it's in the red not in the black So here's what I want you to hear the text saying tonight. The real presence of Jesus in our lives drives us to trust God in all circumstances of life. The real presence of Jesus just drives us to trust God. Ahaz is going to be our case statement or a case study. We're going to look at this through the eyes of Ahaz and maybe try to get some application to ourselves. We're going to ask two questions. What do you trust and what difference does the presence of Jesus make? So let's think about Ahaz a little bit. What's really going on with him? In the text, Isaiah meets Ahaz um, as Pekin and, and Rezin are amassing their armies. And Ahaz is at a pool. And what we really think was going on there was that Ahaz is trying to figure out how to get water from the pool to the city when they're under siege. Because they're not going to last long without water. So as soon as Pekin and Reza come, Rezin come and attack, they can just sit outside the city forever until the food runs out the water runs out and it's the easiest win they've ever gotten. So Ahaz is making plans, and he's, trying, he's looking at the water, and Isaiah meets him there. And the message that Isaiah has for Ahaz is that resin and pika are washed up. They're all done. Isaiah says, these guys, they're smoldering stumps. You don't have to worry about them. And God offers a sign and he says to a- and, and Isaiah says to Ahaz, "Ask any sign you want of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven." Ahaz, use your imagination and pick anything, and it's yours as a sign that what I'm telling you about pika and resin is true. You could imagine Ahaz thinking, "Hmm." These don't exist yet but imagine these things called tanks they'd be great or infinite water coolers to put inside the city Lord if we could get 5 dozen infinite water coolers to keep the water cold maybe maybe make it hot too and they never get empty that'd be great anything you want name it and Ahaz says no 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 I can't put the Lord to the test that's wrong and you know what that sounds so righteous it sounds so good it sounds like the right response and here it's the wrong one it's the wrong one because Ahaz had already made his decision It wasn't about not asking for a sign. It was the fact that he had already chosen to put his faith in the king of Assyria and not his God. He had already chosen, he had had already picked his sign and it wasn't Yahweh. You know the irony about Assyria? Assyria? Assyria is going to use the momentum that happens in this battle and they they are eventually going to overrun Israel, the northern kingdom. And then after a while, after Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians come in and take Judah, and then the Medes and the Persians come in and take the Babylonians, the Assyrians are going to come back around and they're going to take the southern king of Judah too. This guy, this nation that Ahaz has just aligned himself with is gonna rule over all of Israel, all of God's people. But let's think a little bit more about Ahaz. Let's assume that Ahaz is a narcissist and power hungry and all about himself, right? Let's assume he's, he wants to protect his legacy But even if that's true, there's no legacy of a king that's overthrown. (laughs) Well, there is. It's not a good legacy. It's actually quite a bad legacy. And so, even if Ahaz is selfish and corrupt, he still wants to protect his people. And they had just recently lost 100,000 soldiers to these guys. And 200,000 civilians were taken captive. And God spoke to the northern king of Israel and said, those are your brothers and sisters, send them back. And so they sent them back, but you can be sure that in that 200,000, there weren't fighting men. These were women and children and older people. They wouldn't be sending assets back to the enemy country. You see, when Ahaz is talking to Isaiah, he's thinking, what did God do last time? Why didn't God show up before? Where was this promise then? What's, what do you got, God? You see, Ahaz had chosen to trust what he could see a powerful king of Assyria. And he could go into a big war room in, their, in, their, in his palace and they could lay out maps and they could set up plans. They're going to attack from the north and when they do, we're going to flank from this side and we're going to set up these defenses here and we're going to put these soldiers there. It gave Ahaz all the control. Or at least the illusion of it. It gave him the ability to manipulate things and make him think that he could defeat these guys. And Ahaz also chooses what he can count. It's clear to Ahaz how many men and spears and swords and chariots that he has. And then how many the Assyrian king has and how many they can put together together. I mean, what was God's plan anyway? Ahaz's struggle was that God felt so far away. He felt so distant. And yeah, maybe he's really powerful, but we're about to die. And he's way out there. In theology, we call that idea transcendence. God is transcendent. I mean, He's big and powerful. And He transcends our understanding and our ability. But it does make Him kind of distant. It does put Him kind of out there. Maybe I can illustrate this for you. I have a nephew, his name's Joel. Joel was adopted from the Philippines um, about six years ago. And uh, (laughs) Joel. Is a great kid, um, a lot of energy, and a huge sweet tooth. And so a couple years ago, Joel is at a birthday party with the family. and, And it's one of those parties where the kids are running around playing over here, and all the parents are hanging out talking over here. And my sister in law went to Joel and said, Now, Joel, you can't eat just cake, ice cream, and candy you got to have something healthy, too, like pizza. (laughs) Maybe a carrot stick. Because if you only eat junk, Joel, you'll get sick. But see, the idea of getting sick was a transcendent idea to Joel. It was way out there. And so when asked... If he had eaten healthy food like pizza, the answer was yes, but that was a lie. (laughs) Joel had eaten cake and candy and ice cream the whole time. And suddenly on the ride home, the idea of getting sick was no longer transcendent, (laughs) but all over him and his car. You see, we're a lot like Ahaz and Joel. The solution to our problem is what we can see. The solution to our problem is what we can count. The solution to the problem is what we can control. Because while we do believe that God is big and powerful and strong, he just seems so far away. Mostly, what we want the solution to our problem being is whatever gets us out of the problem the fastest. Whatever removes us from the pain and difficulty and struggle as quickly as we can possibly get out of it. You see, but God isn't primarily concerned with our comfort. We're told that God is compassionate and loving and that his kindness is far grander than we could imagine. But he's concerned about us knowing him he's concerned about our relationship with him and he transcends our understanding and our ability romans eight twenty eight tells us that god is orchestrating all things for the good of those who love him i tell students god is putting everything together for your good and his glory well let's stop and think about that right now what are we 60 70 80 people here maybe God is orchestrating all of our lives for your good and His glory. No, no, all the Christians in Lancaster County, no, Pennsylvania, United, no, world, no, all of Christians, all His people, throughout all time, He is weaving all of those together for your good and His glory. I got three kids, 23, 16, and 13, and I can't orchestrate their lives for their good and my glory. (laughs) There's no glory, trust me. (laughs) And God is doing all of that. So there's a Christian singer named Laura Story, and she has a song called Blessings, and she wraps this idea up for us really clearly. The chorus of the song says, because what if your blessings come through raindrops and what if your healing comes through tears? And what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? Ahaz, what if going through this battle is what you need to do to know that I'm with you? That I love you, that I'm caring for you, and you're gonna win. This whole battle is for your good and my glory. And I say that to you all. What if the challenges and struggles and difficulties and pain that you suffer in this life, maybe right now, are for your good and God's glory? Not what if. That's true. And we have to trust, we have to live by faith that the transcendent God is at work. But trip, this sermon's called Emmanuel, God with us, not God transcends us. So what difference does the presence of Jesus have You know, God did give Ahaz a sign. It came hundreds of years after Ahaz was alive. <laughs> not a very useful sign as you're preparing for a battle, I suppose. The fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy to Ahaz doesn't come for hundreds of years. But there was a virgin who would conceive and bear a son. And his name was Jesus. The, Isaiah tells us that his name was Emmanuel. Well, Emmanuel's not... A name as much as it is a title. And it means God with us. When I was preparing this sermon, it was kind of funny. Um, sometimes you do these things and light bulbs come on. You should probably know some of this stuff, but all of a sudden it makes sense. Often, Emmanuel is written with an E, but if you write it out of the Hebrew, it's written with an I. And Emmanuel and imminence, meaning present or I- immediately going to happen, immediate, imminence, Emmanuel, immediate, they're all the same idea. Emmanuel means God with us. And so now you've got this imminence and transcendence. You've got all the powerful might of God, all that bigness, all that Mind blowing idea of who God is here in Emmanuel, born of the virgin, just like Isaiah said. Transcendence means bigger, Im- imminence means close, and Yahweh is both. Ahaz is one piece of Israel's disobedience throughout the Old Testament. Over and over and over and over, God calls Israel to be faithful. And over and over and over, they disobey and they rebel and they struggle. And God said, If you continue to do this, I'm going to kick you out of the land. And he did. Judah and Israel both place their trust in other gods, other powers, other nations. And they look away from Yahweh and they trust something else. And eventually God does exile them. But 70 years later, they return. And it's a snapshot for what God is doing in Jesus. He's calling his people back over and over and over again. This isn't in the script. I'm taking a quick excursion. We're doing Old Testament stuff with the students right now. And I have one student in particular who every week we're doing, um, we're studying in our small group, we're doing um, uh, Judges. And in our large group, we're doing what I'm calling um, Stories from the Wilderness, which is the Wilderness Travels, Exodus, and Numbers. And uh, <laughs> one student every time she's like, I hate Israel because I hate me. (laughs) You know, she makes these parables. She recognizes that she is rebellious like Israel. Israel keeps turning away, turning away, turning away. She's like, they're so stupid. And then she goes, I'm so stupid. And Jesus calls us back over and over and over again. There's this unending love for his people that comes with the imminent transcendent Yahweh. There's a podcast, maybe you listen to it, called The Moth. It's a story podcast. They get people on there, too, that they tell their stories publicly and record them. And uh, most of the time, they're really good stories. I will put the one caution that sometimes there's some language or, or content that you may not want to listen to. But this one story in particular was really good. About this woman named Rachel, and Rachel, when she first starts telling the story, she's four years old, and the story includes Rachel, her mom Jessica, and Jessica's mom Rachel's grandmother. Jessica grew up with her grandmother in Alabama, and Jessica's uh, and Rachel's grandmother was the quintessential Southern belle debutante. They went to cotillion. They had full place settings at their dinner table, even if they were eating sandwiches, Uh, the whole Southern stereotypical thing. And Jessica was a scientist and a little bit flighty, and she wasn't super interested in the Southern idea that her mom raised her in, and she went to college, she became a scientist, a professor, she moved north, and... Rachel grew up very different than Jessica. If Rachel wanted to wear a tutu and a a football jersey that day, that's what she wore. And she was given a lot of freedom to make decisions about her life. Um, And I believe I remember in the story, there was a holiday, I think Thanksgiving, and Rachel's grandmother came north for Thanksgiving. And Rachel for the last several months had been li- li- living under the tyranny of bangs. You know, the hair that hangs down that I don't have anymore. Um, she just felt like it was tyranny that she had these things. And so Rachel, four years old, goes into the bathroom just before Thanksgiving dinner and frees herself from the tyranny of her bangs. Snip. Snip. And she goes downstairs expecting to be celebrated because she makes decisions and her mom has given her that freedom and she celebrates the decisions that Rachel makes. When she got down there, she didn't understand the dynamics of having her grandmother in town and this embarrassment that Jessica would suffer. And all of a sudden, Rachel is grabbed by the arm and hauled up the stairs and Spanked, And she had no idea, you know, what was going on. She didn't understand. Ten years later, she, Rachel goes to, to visit her grandmother in Alabama. And uh, she says to her, and her grandmother says to her, come here for a second. And they go into her grandmother's room and she pulls out a little Ziploc bag and opens it up and pulls out a lock of hair. And Rachel said, what is that? And she said, remember that Thanksgiving when you were four and you cut your hair? She said, in all the commotion, I went up to the bathroom and I gathered this and I've had it ever since. Rachel ends the story by asking this question. What happens when your perfect grandmother enters into your imperfect world? And the answer is... You're loved. That was Rachel's answer. So what happens when the perfect, transcendent, imminent Yahweh steps down into your world? Steps down into your very, very imperfect, very broken world? Well, the truth is you're given a second chance to know God. Jesus is the permanent sacrifice for your sin. Jesus does not bring fear or terror or punishment or shame to his people. And you are loved beyond understanding. Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection are the sacrifices made out of love for you. You are the object of that love and there are no bigger guns to call in. There are no greater authorities than the imminent, transcendent God of the Bible. If you are sick, see a doctor. If you have legal trouble, see a lawyer. If you are brokenhearted, talk to a friend. By all means, use the tools at your your fingertips but do not depend on those things like you depend on the imminent transcendent God. He looks at those challenges and struggles and difficulties and sins that are amassing just over the hill tonight. He looks at those and he says, They're done. They're all washed up. I took care of them. Jesus paid for those things. He will rescue you from those things. He is imminent and transcendent. He has all my power, and he's here with us. So as I close, I want to read you a sampling, just a short sampling, five verses, five passages, working through the Bible, and all I want you to do is listen. These are just a sampling of God's promise to you that are true in Christ. Exodus 6-7 I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Deuteronomy 31-8 It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you he will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Zephaniah three fifteen and 17. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. And you shall never again fear evil. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness and he will quiet you with his love and he will exalt over you with loud singing. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Could you imagine what Ahaz would have thought if he had had that text? Revelation 21, one through four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And he prepared, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard in a loud voice from the voice from, from the throne saying, "Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more." for the former things have passed away. The irony of all of this is that we're living in a similar position to Ahaz. Ahaz was waiting for Emmanuel to come and we are waiting for him to return. We have his Holy Spirit that lives in us yet sometimes God seems transcendent and maybe not so imminent. But it's but he is both. In Christ, he is both. If you're here tonight and Jesus isn't your thing, you wouldn't define yourself as his follower, let me ask you a question, and I don't mean to be obnoxious or rude, but what are you trusting What are you hoping is going to be able to deal with all the pain and struggle and difficulty of your life? And don't you think that it's worth it to consider Jesus? Talk to a friend who you know follows him and ask them about him and why he is encouraging to them, why they live with hope. And Christian, What challenges of your life are drawing you to look away from the transcendent, imminent Jesus? What pain, what struggle, what trial is turning your head? What do you turn to instead? These are things to think about. And let me encourage you. You have great power and comfort available to you in Christ. This is true and trustworthy and good. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sending your son Jesus to be present with us, to pay for sin, to send his spirit to comfort us in times of trouble and temptation. And Lord, we know that there are things that cause us to turn our head, and we ask that you would hold us firmly in your hand, calling us back over and over and over again. We are grateful for the work of Christ on our behalf, and we look forward to the day that we are reunited with you, and the new Jerusalem is you present with us today.